Simon will now come and read the Bible for us. Today we're going to do, be doing things just a little bit differently. Um, you'll notice as he reads, there'll be some people around you that may start joining along with him. As the um, Bible passage moves on the screen, at the end, you'll notice some uh, writing in yellow. Can everyone please join in with Simon? The idea is that in the passage, the uh, it moves in a crescendo, starting from a few created beings praising and singing to God to uh, building up to the whole creation. So we're looking to do this to give you a sense of that. Over to Simon. Thanks, Nandor. Um, this morning's Bible reading is from Revelation 5, and we're reading from verse 1 to verse 14. Can be, um, it's on page 1918 of the Bible's on your chairs, or you can follow on behind me. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under earth could open the scroll or even look inside. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open a scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when they had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lord. Each one had a harp and, there was, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayer of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, in a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power for ever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Thanks, guys. Good morning, everyone. If I haven't met you before, my name's Jack. I'm the associate pastor here 
at uh, Trinity Church Unley. And we're in our, our final week looking at this first chunk of Revelation in Revelation chapter 5. As we come to, to reading and sitting under God's Word, though, let me lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You that You're a God who speaks to us. Praise You that You're a God who is not distant, but we can hear from You. We pray that this morning as we sit under Your Word, look at Revelation chapter 5, that You would be at work in our hearts by Your Holy Spirit, that You would help us to come to understand that little bit more of who You are as our God and what it looks like to respond to Your grace. We pray that you would lift our eyes this morning to your son, Jesus, to who he is, to our desperate need for him. Amen. Uh, well, there's something about, about finding the solution to a problem that gives you like a really great sense of satisfaction, isn't there? We love finding those solutions to those problems. Uh, well, for my parents, way before I was born, they were looking after a dog called Fred. And they were looking after Fred for some of my family members. Fred was a great dog. He was a bit old, but they, they thought he was great. But Fred the dog had one flaw. See, every morning, he'd wake mum and dad up really early because he he needed to go outside, right? So every morning in the winter, he'd come in, he'd wake them up, and one of them would need to get out of bed into the freezing cold to kind of go and deal with Fred. But one day, dad decided to call Fred's bluff. He thought, I think Fred's not being that, he's not really serious, he just wants to bug us, he's playing some jokes on us. So one morning, Fred came in, he woke them up, and, and they ignored poor old Fred, And it resulted in Fred the dog leaving like a really nice, smelly gift for mum and dad at the end of their bed on their nice carpet. It presented a bit of a problem that seemed to have no solution. All these early mornings in the middle of winter and the freezing cold. Uh, But my dad, he loves finding solutions. And one day he he, he decided he'd had enough of needing to get out of bed in those freezing cold mornings. Uh, So he stuck together what I reckon is one of the most incredible inventions of all time. He set up this pulley system that went from the front door, bit of rope in the front door, all the way up, down the hallway, into the bedroom. And when Fred came in in the morning, all Dad would need to do would be to reach out his hand and pull a piece of rope next to his bed, and it would unlock and open the front door, and Fred would wander on outside. And then he'd bark and he'd pull it again, Fred would kind of push his way back inside in the front door. The solution was found. Amazing solution. Dad's happy to sell this system to anyone as well if you're having similar problems with your dog. So. But don't you just love finding that solution to a problem? We're in chapter 5 this morning of Revelation. And last week we entered the throne room of none other than God himself with John in a vision. And in the throne room, a great multitude stands centered around God's throne. The creator of the whole entire universe is at the center of it all, right where he belongs, worthy of all glory and honor and power, because that's exactly where he's meant to be, at the center of all things, at the center of our lives. But now we get to Revelation chapter 5, and we're still in the throne room of God, but we zoom in on something in God's right hand, don't we, in verse 1. There's a scroll with writing on both sides and with seven seals. And we hear in verse 2 that the mighty words of an angel that John sees, the angel proclaims in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Uh, But there's a problem, isn't there? In verse 3 to 4, but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept, John says, because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside it seems like a weird response to have to someone not being able to open up a piece of paper, right? It's quite an extreme response. So there obviously has to be something more going on here. 
You'll see on your outline, if you have it in front of you, point one says, who is worthy? If you haven't been with us over this series in Revelation, and if you especially weren't with us last week, uh, last week I shared about being at, at a concert about five or six years ago, listening to a musician named Ben Harper with his band, The Innocent Criminals. And it was a really great concert. I told you uh, how that this great crowd of people were kind of squeezed together and centered around this stage in the entertainment center to listen to Ben Harper play his music. But there was one really standout moment during the concert when Ben Harper, he asked the whole crowd to be quiet. And he had to wait for a little while, but, but he was serious and eventually the whole crowd just became really, really quiet. And he looked out at everyone and he said this, he said, the world is so broken right now, isn't it? The world is so broken right now, isn't it? And the room was such a mix of people from all sorts of religious backgrounds, from different cultures, different ages and stages of life. But everyone nodded their head in agreement. Everyone there recognized that the world is in need. It wasn't really the question that I was expecting at a concert like that one. But then into the silence, he, uh, he asked a question as well. It was a pretty simple question. He said, what is the solution? What is the solution? Uh, John sees that scroll in God's right hand, and when he hears that there is no one worthy to break the seals, he weeps and he weeps, and he's weeping because he knows the world is broken too. You might hear that and think it sounds a bit silly. I mean, what's so important about a scroll? It's a really good question. But the scroll that John sees here, that is in God's right hand, it holds the most significant and the most important plan in all of history. Way back in the Old Testament, in the, in the book of Daniel, in chapters 8 and in chapters 11 and 12, Daniel is told about all these future events by God. Uh, that are all going to unfold according to God's plans and according to God's purposes. Then after that, Daniel's told to seal up the scroll. We read in Daniel chapter 12, after God talking about these future events and what's going to happen for the Israelites, God says this, Multitudes who sleep, in verse 2, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. See, in this scroll at the start of Daniel chapter 12, it becomes apparent that the details of the scroll hold God's plans for two things. Two things to deal with the brokenness of the world. Firstly, that God will bring justice. He will bring justice and just judgment on the world and on his enemies. And secondly, God will bring salvation to his people. See, this scroll in the right hand of God holds his plans and his purposes for judgment and salvation. His plans and purposes to bring an end to the brokenness we see in the world. But do you see the problem in Revelation 5? No one is worthy to break the seals on the scroll so that these purposes might be brought to bear. And John weeps because no one can do a single thing about it. No single person in thousands of years is worthy to do anything about this. 
I don't know how you feel at the moment as you look at the world around us, but you may feel pretty similarly to, to what Ben Harper expressed at the concert when he put a spotlight on a world that is broken. What is the solution? Or you may feel the same way as John. Perhaps you feel hopeless in the face of some of the things that you see around you or that you have going on in your life right now. Things that you feel might even just crush you. But as we read on, we read that John's tears do not have the final say. John's tears are not the end, and neither are our tears. And it's all because of the lion and the lamb. The one that Revelation puts on display as the one great hope of humanity. As the one who is worthy, where no one else is worthy, to bring God's purposes to bear. In verse 5 we read, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Point two, the lion and the lamb. I went to Adelaide Zoo earlier on in the year, went with my family and with my nieces. Now, at the Adelaide Zoo, there's this lion enclosure, right? And you never really lose that kind of young child fascination with great animals, do you? I was trying to play it cool, but as soon as we got into the zoo, in my mind, I was just like, where are the lions? Let's go there. I don't know if you've been to the Adelaide Zoo or maybe Monado Zoo recently, but you walk up to that lion enclosure, and if they're not asleep somewhere at the back, if they're at the front, boy, you're glad that the lion is on the other side of the bars. I don't know if you've, if, if you've heard it, but there's that, that deep rumble of its voice, those enormous paws and claws, and the, the muscle that just kind of ripples down its back and its legs, and you see that mouth when it yawns, right? And, and you see those teeth, and you just think, boy, am I glad that you're over there and I'm over here. Because in a contest between a person and a lion, the lion comes out on top every single time. But then in another place in the zoo, uh, you find something else, don't you? You find animals that you can pat, that you can feed. I don't think there are any there right now, at least not when I visited, but it's where you could expect to find a small lamb, a lamb that's weak, that's defenseless, that could be picked up and held. You can't do that with a lion. It's strange, isn't it, in this passage that when John is told that the lion of Judah, of the tribe of Judah, has triumphed, he looks and sees a lamb. Not just any lamb, but a lamb that looks like it's been slaughtered. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And what is going on here with this lion and with this lamb? It's actually incredible. Because in the lion and the lamb, we see the purposes and the plans of a sovereign God converging as the one who was promised thousands and thousands of years beforehand is finally where he belongs, in victory and triumph on the throne of God. In the very first book of the Bible, in Genesis in Genesis 49, after Jacob's family has, has entered into Egypt, and when he's dying, he blesses each of his sons. He calls them into himself, and, and he blesses his son Judah. He says to Judah, it should be on the screen, Judah, your brothers will praise you. 
Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. He goes on to say in verse 10, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nation shall be his. The lion of Judah. Then from Genesis, all the way through to the New Testament, we're waiting for this lion of the tribe of Judah to arise, to, to call the nations to himself, to defeat the enemies of God who rebel and rage against him. And as we read through the Old Testament, it becomes apparent that this lion will be the root of David. In other words, he would be a descendant of King David, of the tribe of Judah. We read this in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We read of a descendant of David and a great promise that God makes to King David who will rule over an everlasting kingdom, a kingdom of peace, no more brokenness or mess. So we're seeing this mighty warrior king, a lion, who no one will be able to stand against, a great judge, one who will right the brokenness and the mess of the world and who will call the nations to himself to bow before him as king. The Lion of Judah. And then we get to the New Testament. And we read something unexpected. As a man who is humble in status, a man who walks in and amongst the brokenness of the world, a descendant of David, is seen by the prophet John the Baptist. And what does John say when he sees him, when he sees this man? It's on the screen. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, this image that's been painted for us across Revelation 4 and 5 is of a God who sits at the center of the universe, right? A God who's beautiful and terrifying and just awe-inspiring to behold. He's powerful and he's unapproachable. I mean, think about that lion standing apart from you. What does that lion do if the bars aren't there? What does the lion do if that cage just falls down? What do you do? But what does Jesus, the Lion of Judah, do with all that power and that might and that majesty and just that, that terrible strength? When the cage falls down, when the Lion of Judah walks among us, the one in the center of everything, he does what no one anywhere ever would have expected. This Lion gives it all up to be the Lamb who would be slaughtered to be the sacrifice that would pay the penalty for our sin, for our rejection of God. When we deserved a lion's ferocity, Jesus chose instead to give us his death in our place so that we would have life, eternal life. In Isaiah 53, we, we read how this was always going to be the way he would act toward us. Again, in the Old Testament, all of God's plans and purposes converging in one point, one person in Jesus. We read how Jesus would be led like a lamb to the slaughter. I'm just going to ask you to get that Colin Buchanan song just out of your head for the moment. We read that he'd be led like a lamb to the slaughter because we've all gone astray. Each and every single one of us have gone astray like sheep, wandered away from God. Each of us turned to their own way. We've rejected and rebelled against him. We've held up other things in our hearts as worthy of our lives and our focus. Have said to God, your way is not my way. And the world is broken because of it. Because we tried to dethrone the one 
who belongs and sits at the center of all things. Because we've become deserving of his anger and his judgment for the way we treated him. But we read, the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the lamb who was slain, the iniquity of us all. That's all our sin, all our, all our brokenness that belongs to us, taken onto the shoulders of Christ at the cross when he was slain, that it might no longer be ours to bear, but might be put to death and dealt with on his shoulders. He's the, the, the lion and the lamb. Only he could do it. Only a human could pay the penalty for humans. Only God could offer up a sacrifice that would pay such a price. And he did in himself. See, John looks and he sees the risen Jesus, the lamb who was slain, but who now lives. Whose resurrection shows death and sin's defeat and shows the triumph of the Lion of Judah. The horns that are coming out from the lamb on the throne reflect this. The horns were were a big sign of power. And Jesus has seven of them. Remember that numbers are really symbolic and important in Revelation. Seven means perfect and complete. Meaning he has all power and all authority. He has seven eyes, meaning he sees absolutely everything. There's nothing that's hidden from his sight. He sees completely. And his spirit has been sent out to all the earth. He's everywhere and unescapable. See, John looks and sees this lamb. And when he does, he sees the one who is worthy to break the seals on the scroll. The one who is worthy to bring God's purposes of just judgment and eternal salvation to bear on the world. And he sees him take that scroll. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he does, I mean, the noise that John hears just would have been deafening. Can you imagine it, being in there with him? Those gathered around God's throne in verse 8, they just break into this chorus of praise. All of God's purposes and plans throughout history have come to a point. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. See, weeping turns to joy because the solution to the brokenness of the world that we caused has been found in Jesus. And in his great mercy, grace and love, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb who was slain, welcomes us in to play a part in this new perfect kingdom as we turn to him. See, the front door is open, that lever, it's pulled. The solution is there in him. And it's a solution that points to the most unlikely place. See, God's solution looks like foolishness. It looks like foolishness. That's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We would never think to look there to find the solution. Because God's solution looks like failure. Who would trust in a dead man? Who would trust in a slain lamb hanging on a cross? No one would. But the one we see in Revelation 5, he is not dead. He has risen from the dead. He is alive and he reigns over everything. And by the grace of God alone, he's revealed him to us. That we might recognize our great need for him, repent of our rebellion against him and put our trust in him. The lion and the lamb, the one who will bring God's purposes of judgment 
and God's purposes of salvation to bear. And you can't sit on the fence at that time. So point three, priority check. So in in God's throne room, a cry erupts from the elders and from the creatures that are gathered around God's throne. They've just seen the one who is worthy take the scroll from God's right hand. And there is great rejoicing. You're worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, because you were slain. With your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Then we get to verse 10. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. See, there are two things that really stand out in this song that have come about as a result of Jesus' death on the cross. And the first is that, as we've been reminded of already, those who put their trust in Jesus are a purchased people. We're a purchased people, brought back from sin and death at the cost of Jesus' life, the cost of his blood, that we might belong to him and have eternal life, not judgment. But secondly, what stands out is that those who trust in Jesus are a people who serve. We're a serving people, a kingdom and priests whose purpose it is to serve God and a people who will reign with Christ. You see, as all creation is redeemed through Jesus, as we're brought back into right relationship with our God, our purposes, they they all center and, and align around God's purposes, don't they? around God's plans, not, not our own. We, we struggle with that. That's what we see. And God's purposes are that he might be known. Because the one who is worthy has taken the scroll, and one day he will return. And those who have ignored God, well, they'll be locked out forever under God's judgment. No way back. But those who've responded to his grace and repentance and faith will have life. And what it means to be that kingdom and to be those priests is to be those who point others back to God, who shine a light on who He is, that others might come to know of their desperate need of Him. Do you remember back, way back when to Revelation 1 at the start of the year, we read of this image of the church being lampstands, lampstands whose purpose it is to shine a light on God and on His Son Jesus and on who He is. This morning at the 9am service, we witnessed the baptism of Theo. It's Hendre and Jess's great desire that Theo grows up knowing who Jesus is and knowing of his great need to turn to Jesus. And it's our role too to help in this. But not just for Theo, for each and every person who walks through the door on a Sunday and for those we meet and see throughout the week. And that's why we have our children's programs that are running right now. That's why we have our high school programs on a Friday, our community groups throughout the week, our Sunday service right now. So that every step of the way, we might point everyone back to Jesus and be reminded of our great need for Him. That's why we speak about spring connections, how we might grow deep and good relationships with those around us, that we might have opportunity to shine a light on who Jesus is for them, that they may see who He is. The scroll that now lay in Jesus' hands, it ought to give us a sense of urgency about this, because he will return to judge the world for how we've treated God, and we don't know when. We are those priests whose role it is to point others back to God and their need for Jesus, as we remember our desperate need for Jesus as well. And we read, we are those who will reign with Christ. It's a bit of a weird idea, isn't it? The idea of reigning with Christ. 
What does it mean to do that? Well, I think it's actually tied in with the fact that Christians are a people who serve. Because how has Jesus in his kingship and in his reign acted toward us? It's not, not by trying to take advantage of us or to use us for his own gain. He's acted toward us by putting our needs before his own. He is a king who isn't served, but who has served us. And I think today this is what it means for us to be reigning with Christ in the present. That as we share in his heavenly rule that one day will be complete, we reign now on earth, not by trying to take advantage of others or use what we've been given for our own gain, but to use what we've been given, this greatest message of salvation that will ever exist, to put the interests of others before our own, just as the line of Judah has done for us. But how might this service of others and shining a light on who Jesus is, this reigning with him, how does that work out in your life this week? You know, when you're at work or at your, you're at school or you're at university, how does this kind of thing play out? Well, I think it plays out by standing out as someone who seeks to serve the person next to you. It means standing out as the person who puts others before themselves. See, when you don't join in on the gossip, you actually stand out. You'll be known as someone who will not bandy about personal information that's confided in you, and you'll be known as someone who won't complain about someone behind their back, so you'll stand out as someone who can be trusted. When life gets harder, people will confide in you. You will stand out as someone who will forgive someone else if they mess up. When you don't try to take credit for the work someone else is doing, but encourage them and say, well done, you stand out. You stand out as someone who isn't there to use people as a stepping ladder to get into the next position, but as someone who could be a good friend to have, who when things get hard, well, you might be asked for help. When you don't join in using the same language or sharing your frustrations in big outbursts of anger, you stand out as someone whose centre and identity is not found in the successes or failures of this world, but whose centre is found somewhere else, somewhere much bigger. So that when that opportunity does come to shine a light on who Jesus is, Having seen your conduct and your life and your attitude and other person's centeredness, others might see Jesus, the servant king, and might be willing to listen to who he is. How can you act on some of these things during the coming week? What are you, what are you going to do differently? Whether you're at work, whether you're at school or uni, whether you're in the family, what are you going to do differently? Revelation 4 and 5 has given us such an, just an enormous picture of who God is. He's the God who belongs at the center of it all. And he's the God who draws us in to be with him. So will you join in with the multitude of voices that praise him for who he is, whose lives are centered around his throne? Will you join all of creation in heaven and on earth in the praise of this God? That's what we see in verse 11 to 14. That's what we read out together this morning. All of creation, praising the one who sits enthroned and the lamb who was slain. Will you join in with them? It's actually how we're going to finish this morning. By joining in this chorus of creation of praising God and praising the lamb who was slain. And if it's the first time for you of recognizing that he is worthy to be at the center of it all. That he is worthy of praise. 
that he is worth turning to, please join in. And we'd love to chat to you afterwards if you've done that as well. I want to ask everyone, as you're able, to please stand. And we're going to say these words. Then we're actually going to sing some of these words really loudly together as we behold him. But for now, as you're able, please do stand up. The words are on the screen behind me. Let's praise our God. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen.